Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, similar to the, the, the poetry genre, 
Uh, there's prophecy and there's gospels. So we're going to talk about the poetry of John, which is important to understand. So we're not going to take it literally. So a collection of songs and uh, well, the Psalm, Book of Psalms, a collection of songs and prayers. Uh, so the Book of Psalms, songs, prayers, and things uh, that we use for singing and worship. Uh, the writing style is, uh, is is important to understand. So if you go through the psalm, uh, it's important to read it uh, as best you can, as, as we like to uh, it like to be understood. So I just put up some things about the psalms. They're written in, in certain ways that I think is important to understand. And I think probably more importantly for us, um, uh, the poetic style, the style of writing the book of psalms. Um, you will know as well as I do that sometimes singing of songs helps you, helps to remember. If I remember, I was singing a song once. Um, I did know, and I can't even say the words here because they're sinful. But I was singing these songs out loud when my mum, I was like, boy, because okay. I like the music and the sounds. My mum said, you know what that means? I said, I don't have a clue what it means. I just was enjoying the music. And she had to explain that it's a bad word. I thought, well, I'm sorry. Uh, but the songs help us to, to sing. Sometimes I even sing a song, don't know what they're saying. And I enjoy a song, I think, what they're saying? And make sure it makes sense. But the whole point of singing and poetry is that you can remember. Remember, these are people who didn't have the word of God. They, they relied on either someone teaching them or singing songs to remember. So, so it's aimed to help us to remember. Um, also, it helps us with um, emotional engagement. So if you read the book of Psalms, you'll notice a lot of cathartic <coughs> language. A real, sometimes you think, should it be in there? I mean, it says things like, dash their children against the rocks. You think, whoa, should that be in the Bible? This is horrific language. But it's not meant to be taken literally. It's a kind of a, it's an overwhelming sense of burden. Babylon, these people, these countries are coming to take away our children and our families. I'm in pain. It's, it's a it's reflection of pain. And it's also uh, the teaching styles of, uh, of um, uh, the Book of Psalms are very helpful as well. Because I think the teaching styles, some of us are very good at just reading and learning. Some are more visually than that to see. Some of stories to learn. So the Book of Psalms helps to capture some of these genres. But as I said today, we're going to stick to Psalm 73. I'm just going to read uh, the first section. It says, Surely God is good to Israel. Remember, this is Asaph, the worship leader in God's church at that time, of the temple or the tabernacle. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Now, the wonderful thing about Asaph, which we'll look at in a second here, is just, just this uh, ability to share what he was feeling. Now, Asaph was a temple. He was the like, main worship leader of the church. And the main worship leader of the church is, is here, telling us things that you think should really just be saying. Because he was struggling with envy. And, and you know, he probably read in the book of Deuteronomy 28, where it talks about blessings and curses. So probably in Asaph's heart, he, he thought, he thought if you choose to follow God, as he says in Deuteronomy 28, your life will be blessed. And if you read Deuteronomy 28 and all the blessings, they're incredible. It describes so many wonderful things that God does for those who choose to obey him. But it also describes what happens to those who choose not to obey him. And it describes their lives as being perilous and disastrous and them being punished. So in, in Asaph's mind, he said, God blesses those who follow him and he curses those who do not follow him. But that's not what I'm seeing, God. That's what, that's what Asaph's saying. You say this, God, but that's not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing those who 
rebel against you, living better than me. This is his fundamental struggle. Those who choose not to follow God are having a better life than I am. It's funny when you think about that. He's talking about envy, and he's very open about this struggle. He's envious. And you know what? I commend him for just being that way, in a sense, just being open. Um, let's have a look at some of these things now. You know, even when I think of even myself, and some of the questions we have, you know, when I became a Christian, was, I thought, gee, well, the Bible talks about the good news. Evangelion, the good news, become a Christian, this is the good news of God. But sometimes I have this question, is the good news Jesus proclaimed really good news? Have you had that thought before? It doesn't look like good news to me. It looks like hard work. It looks burdensome. It looks difficult. What do you mean good news, Jesus? It's not good news. That's how some of us can feel. Remember, this is just expression. It's how I feel. I don't feel like it's good news. You say it's good news, Jesus, but I don't see it as good news. Am I living life to the full as Jesus promised? You know, in John chapter 10, I think it is, Jesus said, I've come that they may have life to the full. And there's this sense when you become a Christian, I'm not saying your, your troubles go away, but there's this sense that, that life becomes beautiful. And Jesus said that, you know, I've come so that they may have life to the full. And then we can ask ourselves, am I living life to the full? Is my life full as Jesus promised? <laughs> you know, a good life. Is my life amazing? You know, many, many areas of my life seem to say the opposite. That's how some of us may feel. That, you know what, I know what God promises, but I can't really say that in my life that is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing the opposite. I have difficulties in my marriage. I have difficulties with my children. I have health challenges. I'm not feeling particularly encouraged. Life is a bit burdensome. And there's this kind of contrast going on. This is exactly what Esau, I think, was uh, talking about. He says, others, even non-believers, seem to have it better than me. And this... I must confess, this is the most painful bit because it's, it's this sense that those who choose not to follow God are living a better life. That's quite painful uh, for many of us. And you know, the fundamental question is, can I really trust what God says in the Bible? That's the fundamental question, isn't it? So I know God says these wonderful things, but I don't really believe them. You know, a good starting point in processing our struggles is to be completely open about them to God himself. Uh, the wonderful thing about God, and you see in the book of Psalms, he, there's this sense that God wants us to be 100% real with him. 100% open about things going on in our hearts. I don't like going to church. I don't like my wife. I don't like my husband. Kids are giving me a headache. We don't, I, okay, so my nature is not to be real, okay? My nature is to, when I think these thoughts, there's an intermediary gap of processing. Well, it's not really that bad. And then I get to a point where I've rationalized it, and my end thinking is, well, it's not too, too, too bad. But I've not really expressed it. I've not really voiced it. I've not really presented it. Uh, and you know what? This is an interesting, because envy is one of the only sins I know that, you know, most of the other sins, they give you pleasure. Well, they give me pleasure. When I think of sin, I think pleasure. But envy is probably one of the only sins that gives us pain. You think? Envious. I'm envious though they have something. And envy brings about a whole range of other challenges from uh, relational issues to financial deceit to um, uh, uh, just believing that if we have these things we'll be, we'll be happier when we see our neighbors, our friends. Uh, and and ESAP was struggling with these thoughts. I'd like my wife to, to come and share on this topic. Thanks. Hi again. Yeah, I just want to share uh, a perspective from my life. So it doesn't necessarily mean everybody has this life, but this is my reality. 
So the background, my background is um, I come from a single parent household. Uh, there were seven children, and so this was my mom, and she had three jobs during the day. She'd run to one, come back, do the breakfast, run to another, come back, do the lunch, do that kind of lifestyle. So although she worked really hard, I can't say really have a strong relationship. Um, but yeah, but she did her best. But when she, back home in her country, she was a tailor, so she would make clothes for everybody. But when she came here, she couldn't find that job, so she just took cleaning jobs. Um, my father was absent in my entire childhood. I met him when I was seven. That's the first time I actually saw him. Actually, I didn't meet him. I saw him when I was seven. We were at family dude, and he was standing at the other end of the room. And I think my mum casually said, oh, do you know that's your dad? And I just thought, oh, I don't know what to do with this. And I just started crying, which is really upset. What did he do to you? And I said, nothing. But it was overwhelming for me. And um, yeah, and, and for me, my whole life, and my earliest memories was always, why didn't he want me? Why, why didn't he like me? Why didn't he want to be part of my life? And so um, during, the, during my growing up, during my growing up years, I definitely felt, although it was a household with a lot of children, I felt very lonely a lot of times, alone. Um, and it was during a dark period here for me in this country. As I say, I was sharing from my own experience. So it was during a time where you would see signs like, no, you know, like if you wanted to rent a place, no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. So, and when I went to school, it was a predominantly white school, so that was um, magnified. You know, the teachers were not particularly, not all of them, but they weren't particularly welcoming. And the sad thing is, like, you remember the ones that were welcoming rather than the ones that were quite friendly and really encouraging. So um, for me, society at large, my family, didn't really particularly feel loved. I didn't know what love was. Um, except when my older sister came back, came from the Caribbean, we were able to have friendships, we played and played and played, which is great. Um, but I, I, I looked around at other people and I just thought, wow, you know, this person over here, their father comes to the um, uh, parents' evening and the teachers seem to really like them, but they don't seem to like me. So there was always that envy of wanting what other people had. And um, I wanted the house that other people had. I wanted that family, that sense of belonging um, that other people had. I remember watching shows like, and this will show my age, um, The Little House on the Prairie. I don't know how people remember that. But I remember watching that and thinking, yeah, I want eight kids just like that. And uh, we don't have eight kids, by the way. I wanted eight kids and I wanted I can't remember the name of the grandparents, but I wanted the grandparents to look after my children and love my children. That's what I wanted. I wanted them to feel like they belonged and they were super enthusiastic about seeing them. That's really what I wanted. Um, and also the Cosby show. I just thought, wow, it's so intelligent. It's so funny. It's a bit different now. It's not funny now. But I think about the image they created on TV. That's what I wanted. I just thought, I want that for my family. I want my children to feel loved. I want people to care about them. Um, I want them to do all the things that I didn't have. Um, anyway, so I studied fashion. I thought, wow, you know, I'm going to be a millionaire. Everyone's going to know who I am. And that's going to make me feel really important and really loved. Obviously, it didn't happen that way. And praise God, it didn't. Um, I thought that would be my sort of redemption. Um, but anyway, after all that, and realizing, no, it's not my redemption, I was met by a lady called Grace Joseph. I don't know if many of you know her. She, she's in the Northwest. Amazing woman. And Julie D'Souza, uh, I think her name was Julie Eagles at the time, studied the Bible with me. And I just couldn't believe what I saw. I didn't believe that there was a book that could tell you how to live. I didn't know that's what the Bible was all about. I just thought it was a book of stories. Um, uh, but I remember becoming a Christian, and this is a bit where I can relate to Asa, and just feeling, I just need to obey, but I still don't feel loved. I don't, I don't feel loved by God. 
I feel like God is blessing everybody else, but not me. I feel like my duty is just to obey what I see in the scriptures. And bearing in mind that um, I don't think I'd experienced the kind of love I wanted, so I didn't know how, how I would recognize it, even if it came. So um, during my early years as a Christian, I experienced so many failures, lots of disappointments, not achieving my career goals, not having a boyfriend in the early years. <laughs> and uh, to compound it, I remember a friend meeting me and saying, um, wow, since you've become a Christian, since you belong to this church, you look terrible. <laughs> I just thought, <laughs> maybe, and she looked fantastic, I have to say, when she was telling me this. And so I just started to feel really envious because I saw people who hadn't repented the way I understood repentance, getting great jobs, <laughs> and boyfriends, money, great positions, unlike me. So um, I, I couldn't understand why God was doing this. I felt humiliated in a way because I thought, you've asked me to do all these things. My life is no better. <laughs> Come on, God, what, what's going on? Um, <clears throat> yeah. So, uh, yeah, so to, I, I just have to be honest, I really didn't feel loved. Although I think what God was doing at the time, He was training me to, um, so that I could feel loved, so that I could identify His love, and I could see that He meant well for me. Um, I, you know, I think one of the blessings really was having people like our dear friend Akin, Lolo Shumi, um, OJ, Delapo, Richard Clements. Many of you may know all these people, but I'm just reading them off because they are men who were Christians at the time who made me feel respected, and I really appreciate that. So I think God was training my heart, but just like I said, I did question God's fairness at one point. Yeah, good to hear these things. Um, there's a gospel called the Prosperity Gospel. Probably many of you know the Prosperity Gospel. Health and wealth. Uh, and this image that uh, following God is uh, you, you will be guaranteed blessings. Uh, Luke 6 is used for that, you know, put a little oil here, it will come out. And it's essentially put a little in and a lot will come out. And it's preached a lot because I think it's attractive. Uh, whereas the gospel we read, and even from seeing Esaph, is that being Christian, following God the Bible's way, in some ways is, is, is quite difficult. Uh, we're going to move on now, because in um, verse 6, it says, Therefore, it's talking about these um, people who live God and live this kind of life. It says, therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink of waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. So he's now going into um, uh, the kind of lives of these people who kind of live the non Christian life, who are doing well. Uh, and he kind of hits on the big one, the, 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 the pride. He, he mentions this link between, you know when sometimes things are going well for you and you think it's because of what you have done? Have you ever had that feeling? Is it only me? <laughs> you, think, you think you've trained your kids a certain way, you've done it, and then they do things and say, wow, what a good job I've done, well done. Well done, parent, well done me. Or even at work, you think things go well, and, and there's this sense, and, and what the writers are addressing here is this idea that uh, the ungodly, those who choose not to follow God, uh, right behind that uh, success is an incredible sense of pride. Uh, and people amass around them, they love to hear what they say, they kind of capture an audience, they seem to uh, um, build on their achievements. And again, poor Esaf is still wrestling with all of this. 
He's still struggling uh, when he thinks about his own life. In verse 13, we can read. And this is where he's kind of, he's like, he just said, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. You can sense this. What's the point of trying to live the Christian life? What's the point in trying to be truthful about my finances? What's the point in trying to be honest about things when people are living this way? What's the point? And this is where he says, I've just wasted so much of my time. He says, in vain I've kept my heart pure. All day long, in verse 14, I've been afflicted and every morning brings me punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. So yes, I was wrestling with this. And he says, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. You know, there's, there's something, there's, before I was a Christian, I was, well, I still am a highly analytical person. I'm, I'm, I, I, I love science, I love detail, I love facts, I love, I need to understand, I need the information. Ask my wife, you say, you ask too many questions, honey. Just wash the dishes, don't ask me why it's that dirty. But you know, it's like, I'll ask why, how, who, when, uh, and I need information. Um, in fact, I did a psychometric test once, I said, Andy finds it very hard to make decisions without the facts. Isn't that obvious? I mean, I thought, of course I need the facts, but some of that life things don't need those kind of medicines. But before I became a Christian, I was, I was um, in fact, you, you met my Susan, who came here a few weeks ago. I think he describes me as the most proud person he ever studied the Bible with. I went up with a badge, by the way, sense of pride. Oh, I am? Oh, thank you. <laughs> I am the proudest person you studied. I take that as a blessing. But why? Because I was like, how do I know the Bible is true? Where is this? I needed the facts. I was digging deep with people trying to understand. And you know what? I was trying so hard with human effort to understand. And I don't think that's a bad thing. But there's a limitation. If you're trying to figure things out by your own understanding, I can guarantee you the reality of it will miss you. Because this is ASAP. I was try I'm trying so hard to understand. It doesn't make sense. I can't compute. I don't understand God. And he's wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. And then he said, verse 17, oh, till I enter the sanctuary of God. Isn't that, mm -hmm. Something happened. He said, ah, ah, yeah. yeah, I can see it now. Something happened. And, and I love the way he gets to this point of, I think just uh, being able to, to make that statement, until I enter the sanctuary of God. Now, I have studied this verse so much and I can tell you with my hand on heart, I still don't know what it means. Uh, all the commentaries talk about it being the, the temple or the, or the tabernacle. That is the, uh, the, uh, that is the sanctuary. But I'm like, Asaph was always in the temple. He was, all, he, he was temple worship or the tabernacle. I don't know when the temple was built. Uh, obviously Solomon built the temple, he was around then. But he was obviously in the tabernacle and temple. He used to come to church effectively. It's like us coming to church every Sunday. He was there all the time. But this was a different experience. He said, I was trying to understand this. And boom, till I entered the sanctuary of God. I still don't know what this means, but I'm going to try uh, and, and help us to understand it better. Esau felt that God was not fair. When he tried to understand it, he couldn't. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. And it's this sense that in the presence of God, all things become clear. Some, something... 
something happened to him. Um, I don't know what, but something did. And I've been trying to wrestle with this, you know, what exactly, what did he experience? And can I, can I have it too? So that I'm not envious, I don't want this. But can I seek that experience that he, he had? Um, he saw something that he couldn't see before. This is clear to me, he, he, he couldn't see it here, but now he can see, it's a sense of being able to see. He was spiritually blind here, but now he could see things spiritually. He had a mind change. Something happened. I'm trying to understand this clicker, it's gonna <laughs> he saw some kind of yeah, so he saw some kind of moral accountability. Um, he said he said he could see their final destiny. So he somehow he could he could see the end. I can't see the end, but but he said, Oh, I, I saw the end. And they, they, oh, what I thought was unaccountability, they could get away with anything they want. Oh, actually, there is accountability. He was like, oh, oh yes, I can see that there is some kind of accountability. Those he envied were held accountable for their deeds. So, ah, oh. so hold on a second. So, those people that I'm being envious of, at the end, they'll be held accountable for their life. Ah, oh. all right. Um, he saw how the story would end. There was something happening where he, he, he got to a place where his mind was, I would say, becoming spiritual. So he wasn't thinking in a kind of a, a worldly way like he was before. He was thinking, if you think about what he was thinking before, he was very much comparing maybe his life to others, uh, seeing that they seemed to enjoy it. Looking at everything from a physical point of view, then he became spiritual. And this is that point where he entered the sanctuary of God. <clears throat> yeah, just to point out again, I'm just sharing from my experience, my observations, and everyone's journey with God is different. I'm just sharing with you my own. Um, so, unlike Isa, I don't think I entered God's sanctuary, or if I have a logo, I don't remember. Um, but one thing I did do was just, I think, so I became a Christian when I was about 26, I think. So, quite a number of years ago. And what I've seen through this journey of life is, um, is that whatever you, what you choose to do, how you choose to do it, you will see the <coughs> outcome at some stage. And so if you, if you do it the way that God wants you to do it, it has a good outcome. And there may be other things going on, there may be things that obviously are not within your control. I say that because kind of the things I was looking at and being really envious of, you know, people who probably hadn't really done things the way that God wanted them to do. And I'm not saying this is everybody, I'm not generalizing, I'm just saying observations that I, I had. Well, that in some situations, certainly with relationships that were not built on God, they didn't last. They were built on conflict. They didn't know how to deal with conflict and do it God's way, how to persevere, all the qualities that God talks about that helps in relationships. Um, a job, uh, I'm not saying that everybody's relationship is bad, but everybody's job is bad, but what I'm saying is some of the things I saw really helped to understand that um, if it wasn't built on God's foundation, it wouldn't have the same good outcome. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're open to the challenges of life, but it doesn't have the same good outcome. And I know being married, having children, when I first became a disciple, I, I just thought life was like a big Disney kind of kingdom children come out of the rain, do everything you ask them to do, become a Christian at 15, everybody obeys God and life is perfect. 
But in reality, that is not what life is about. You know, as we know that because obviously with Jesus, it's not like everybody was faithful when he died. It's not like all the churches that Paul built, people were faithful all the time. So we know that it's not necessarily because of us, and it was good for me because otherwise I'd be proud and arrogant. But I, I think the thing for me now is I'm building, having got to this age, and seeing how much God has blessed certain decisions I've made because it was obedience, um, I've really, I don't even know how to say it, but I feel as if he loves me. I feel like there's a love, there's a difference how I feel in terms of how I feel that God is treating me, the kind of things he's allowing me to have, the opportunities, um, relationships, answered prayers, um, even our relationship, myself and Andy, we're pretty different, very, very different. I'm much more say as it is, you know, I, I'm sometimes a bit too quick <laughs> saying how I'm feeling, <laughs> whereas he's much more reflective. So I think between us, hopefully, we're able to talk things through. Um, even with our children, you know, I've had to hold my tongue a lot of times because I think I really, I'm, I'm so scared of not loving them because I haven't had that love. So that scares me. So sometimes with them, I probably hold that more. Um, and but just seeing how Andy's so gracious with them, it really helps me to understand love because he's the exact opposite to what I had growing up with my children. So um, when I say, I, the similarity, I guess, with ASAP is, Although I'm, I, don't, I don't know what this sanctuary was, but what I feel is when you're walking with a group of people who are trying to do the same thing, this is what I would probably term as the nearest to the sanctuary, is that we're all having the same values. We all just want to love God. We all want God to intervene in our lives and take control, and we just want to love God with all our hearts. So we know that we're flawed, but what I see from everybody and the way I see people living and the outcomes of their lives, including mine, I realize that this is hopefully the nearest I can go to the sanctuary. And this is what it's all about. It's that living and understanding heaven, even once you're on earth. Understanding how good God is, how gracious, how just he is. <clears throat> so as I'm going, getting older, um, and, and acknowledging I'm probably near the end of it than I am at the beginning, uh, I can honestly say that I, I genuinely feel buffered by God's love. I genuinely feel like I'm in a bubble. That kind of scares me sometimes, because I think if you say it, something might happen, say it might not really. But yeah, but I definitely feel like I feel God's love now. I see it and I experience it. So I just wanted to share that. Again, please remember this is my experience, my my love. Thank you. Thanks a lot. You know, some understandings do not come about by carefully applying the full mind of our intellect and wisdom. I think I was trying to mention this earlier. Uh, for instance, what helped me become a Christian, say, was the fact that Jesus, that God was revealing himself through Jesus. So um, when Jesus came down and, and he said certain things, effectively saying, I am God, I am the Son of God, and um, I can give you eternal life. So, so this is revelation. This is not, human beings didn't sit down to figure this out. This is God saying, let me tell you about myself. And I think this is some kind of sanctuary experience too, where, where you have to let go of your own, in all areas of your life, your own intellect and wisdom, and be prepared to hear what God is saying. In our case, through what the Bible actually says. Now, reading further down, so he's, uh, he's finally entered the sanctuary, he's finally clicked with him, and then he kind of sees a bit more clear. This is what he says about the people that he's talked about in the beginning. So in verse um, 18, he says, Surely you played such a, surely you placed them on slippery ground. Remember, he started by saying that he was on slippery ground? Now he said, Oh, that's the word. I see now. I'm on slippery ground. They're on slippery ground. This is kind of change. It's kind of seeing things more now. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are, are they destroyed? Completely swept away by terrors. They're like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. 
Where my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless, senseless and ignorant. I was a group beast before you. So he's suddenly starting to see things a bit clearer. He's seeing what the people he envied. He's starting to see them in a different light. Um, I must confess, I haven't got to that point yet in my Christian life, but I look to those who are living this wonderful life and think, oh yeah, that's sad. But he did. Asaph understood that, uh, that contrast. And then he looks at himself in verse, um, in verse 23. He says, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards you will take me into glory. This is the same person speaking about them. It's the same person. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. It's amazing to say a person as he went to this even before he was all over the place, went to the sanctuary or so, went into the sanctuary of God, and now his perspective has has really changed. Um, you know, you guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. I mean, just as my wife shared, he, yes. I mean, there's so many incredible beauties and wonders we have when we do put God's work into practice. Um, in verse 28, but that's me, it's good to be near God. And interestingly, again, it says, I will tell of all your deeds. Um, in the east part of the church, we have um, a, a group of people called the, well, I think it's entirely evan evan evangelism ministry. A group of uh, probably about 15 to 20 people who are on WhatsApp and regularly meet up to share their faith. So I remember I first joined the group. Well, I didn't join the group. I went for the first, my first set session. So I joined the Ilford uh, station. When I got there, they were all saying, Oh, WhatsApp, I said I'll be late. And I didn't know that WhatsApp group, by the way. So I said, he said, hey. I said, hey, how come I'm not on this WhatsApp group? And they said, <laughs> I got really offended. I said, oh, it's for people who are part of the evangelism ministry. I said, what do you mean people? I said, shouldn't the whole church be part of it? Shouldn't we all be doing this? Yeah, but where does the view? I said, sir, I got really upset and kind of offended. And I think it's a true kind of reflection of a, of a kind of, shouldn't the whole church be telling of all God's deeds? That's how I felt. And anyway, I'm a part of that group group now. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> they, let, they let me in, even though I was a bit offended. Um, but a couple of weeks ago, the guys, I don't know if you, rec you can rec recognize the chap in the middle here. Go back one. Anybody can recognize the chap there? Yeah. All right, Eric. That's right, that's right. Former world champion in the world. Uh, brothers on the left and right, Randall, um, uh, Scott, um, they're both disciples in the East. They went out to train their face in Romford. A couple of weeks ago, and then met uh, Frank Bruno, invited him to church. I didn't see him in church that Sunday. Probably didn't come. But these are a couple of guys who were in that group. And you know what? I, I, I respect that. That they have, have just, and they really, and Scott on the, on, I'm not sure if you're left or right. Scott on the left leads that, that group. He's absolutely 100% passionate. If we have prayer mornings, we have, um, he uh, sends out scriptures. He's. He mentions all the people we meet on any trip, asks us to pray. But what I, what I get from Scott is that he wants everyone to know about the goodness of God. And um, this is what Asaph said at the end of his prayer. He said, I will tell of all your deeds. Why? Because, because he, could, he could see the end. He could see the end. And, and his natural response was, that end is not good for those who don't follow you. That end is not good. I will tell of your deeds. That's his emphasis. And 
I'm just praying and hoping that we can be a people who tell of his deeds, that we're keen to let other people know. Uh, just include those in here, and I just wrote these, you might want to take them down. Just things for you to consider. One is how you might grow in being real with God. And this is, uh, I would like to encourage, I'm encouraged, by the way, anything I put here is probably more for me as well. I'm not very good at this, so, so I just need to be more real. The good, the bad, the things that I find easy, difficult, I'm upset about, uh, disappointed with. Uh, let me be real with God. God wants us to be real, completely real with Him. Um, consider your desire for God's presence. As I said, I'm not sure what that looks like for you, but there's a sense of when you when you see things the way God sees things, I would say that's being in God's presence. There's a sense of uh, connection with what God values and what God doesn't value. Uh, and, but consider your desire for God's presence. Um, and this is where it's a call, it's intentional. Think about how you can enrich your spiritual life so that you can make spiritually directed and well-fed decisions. And finally, consider how you are helping others see God. And really consider this, sit down and consider, how am I really helping others? Is it just letting my light shine or am I, is it more than this? And I'm preaching to myself as I'm sharing these things, but I hope that you all found that useful this morning and thank you for your attention. Thank you.